Hello guys, welcome to the Cryptonary Podcast. Today we have Orca on. They claim to be the most user-friendly decks on Solana, so I'm happy to find why they are and what their plans are for the future. Cryptonary's hosts and guests are not registered financial advisors. All opinions are Cryptonary's alone. Nothing discussed in the podcast should be considered as investment advice or should be relied on upon investment decisions. This podcast is purely for information and entertainment purposes only. Now I've said all this, let's go. Hi guys. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, for me too. And uh, what about you, Bill? How are you doing? Oh, it's been a, it's been a really good day and I'm looking forward to this one. It's always good to have builders from the Solana ecosystem here as they what brings the ecosystem forward. So it's a pleasure to have Ori from Orca with us to talk about Daxies on Solana. So, Yes, Ori, would you like to introduce yourself? Tell me a bit about your background before you got into uh, crypto and Solana. Sure, happy to. Uh, so my, my real name is Grace Kwan. I go by Ori in the Solana and kind of Orca ecosystems. My background is originally in computer science and human-computer interaction, which I studied at Stanford. After that, I worked as a software engineer for several years at startups, including Coursera. Before, actually, most recently, I was working as an interaction designer at IDEO in Tokyo at projects across the Asia region. And so my entire career is really this, this blend of design and engineering and really trying to create intuitive experiences for highly technical fields, which lends itself very well to crypto. Nice. And could you explain me how you got into crypto? Was that recently or are you already here for like 2013? Sure. Yeah, it's actually relatively recent. It's a COVID story, I guess you could say. And so it actually happened when I met Yutaro, my co-founder in Tokyo. And we decided to just sort of start hacking on side projects together during COVID. Uh, you know, everyone had a little more free time. And so we actually originally started building together on Ethereum. And we built a little prototype of an app that was actually a high interest savings app targeted at non-crypto natives. That was basically around DeFi summer. And we very quickly saw that a high interest savings app where you're trying to encourage folks to deposit $100 at a time isn't going to work when gas costs make it like $40 for a deposit. And that's actually when Solana caught our attention. Exactly. Uh, yes. I, I was going to ask, following on, I know that when you work in Ethereum, I'm not a computer scientist myself, but I have had some coding experience. Solidity on Ethereum is much easier to work with than it is to work on Solana. And Orkan, what you've been building, you must have started more than a year ago. I'm, I'm pretty sure of that. So what was what drove that choice to move to Solana which had a much more difficult code base and there was a lack of documentation, there was a lack of implementation. Of course, you were the first, one of the first people to start building there, but that came with its own significant challenges. So what was the discussion that you had with your co-founder to decide that we're going to move on to Solana and we're going to sit down and learn this new blockchain and take a big risk on spending a lot of time building something which we might not know even if it succeeds? Sure. So it's actually kind of funny. We, we used to joke that Yutaro, my co-founder, was an ETH maximalist because he actually used to work for the Ethereum Foundation working on ETH 2.0, as well as prototyping Layer 2 solutions. But, you know, after having this experience building that app together on Ethereum, it became very clear that we would need some kind of solution if we wanted to build really user-friendly applications because, 
you know, coming in relatively fresh eyed to crypto, I was like, you guys put up with this thing, you know, like paying all these gas fees, waiting so long, not even being sure whether your transaction is going to go through. And when we were starting to look into other alternatives, we actually saw the FTX team starting to, and SBF starting to look into Solana. And that, that was a huge signal for us. You know, we have a lot of respect for them. They obviously do their research. And so this caused us to look a little bit deeper into Solana. And we quickly, after talking to the Solana team, after reading the white paper, became convinced that Solana was going to be able to build out a very robust developer ecosystem. And I think we can see today that that's true. So just just like everything which you've said makes sense. And I think it's what drove most people into Solana in the early days in January or so, seeing SBF, Alameda, the developers, the white papers, everything that was going on. The question I wanted to follow up with is, having gone through this and having something in mind, what part of Solana is it that made you say Solana's a chain for us and not look maybe an alternative? Because I'm sure you did your research across multiple layer one chains. And what was the biggest selling point on Solana? Sure. Well, you know, Solana itself is not simple by any means. And, you know, Rust is not necessarily easy to learn as you've kind of intuitive for people coming from Solidity. However, because it is non-sharded, because it is optimized for performance, I think ultimately you're able to write smart contracts that are very much designed for the constraints of a blockchain. And for people who are, I think, well-versed in building on crypto and building in DeFi, you're able to create smart contracts that behave very much to spec. And so from a very technical perspective, sure, there are limitations and the developer ecosystem is very nascent, but we felt very confident that we could actually build applications that would behave in the long term in a way that would create a very robust financial system. Yeah, I see. <clears throat> that that leads me to the question. So, you know, you've gone through, you've done some work on Ethereum now, and you've decided that you want to build on Solana. What was the discussion or choice that you made when building on Solana to determine what you were going to build? Because on Ethereum, you said, you know, put $100 in that time, high interest savings. Was the idea the same and simply let's build this on Solana because it fits our project better? Or was it more of a let's go back to the drawing board and see what can we use to make this better? Or what was the thought process behind developing Orc? And what made you settle on Orc as we see it now? Sure. So Solana at the time when we were looking at it was really just getting started. You know, I think Ethereum's a very different place. There was a lot more robust infrastructure available. There were things like the graph. We're, when we're talking about Solana a year ago, like there weren't even any lending protocols. And so the high interest savings app that we were building was, was going to be powered by Aave. So that's obviously not something that we were going to directly port over. On the other hand, we saw a huge opportunity to really build key infrastructure on Solana. And an AMM is, is really that, that key infrastructure and something that I think lends itself very well to our combination of talents. You know, I'm a developer, but I'm definitely more on like the front end side. Utaro is also way more well-versed in like the smart contract side. And we felt that an AMM is something that would take advantage of both that expertise in crypto, but also like this, this attention to UX to be something that appeals to both retail users and also more like native DeFi users. In addition to having tons of opportunity to really innovate. And that's something that we can touch on later as we talk about our future roadmap. Yeah. The last question on this before, because I know you started developing very early. When you started developing, you must have seen that there was a complete dearth. Like there was no 
no dApps built on Solana. Like you said, there were no lending protocols. I remember in January when I started using the ecosystem, Orca was one of the very few dApps that was there and I actually interacted with myself. But did you see this and go, we have a, a first mover advantage here. We can be one of the first apps to build on Solana with all the benefits and advantages that come with that. Or was it more of a, right, we'll take our time and build it up. There's no competition. What was the, you know, the building process? How stressful was that? And was there a rush to get things out and there for people to use? Because back in those days, like even for myself, I'm not sure how people built back then because Anchor still wasn't fully developed. And there were other technical problems as well. It wasn't nearly to this level that we see in the last couple of months in terms of resources and support, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I would say that perhaps there actually wasn't as much of a sense of urgency as there is now, simply because Solana is so popular now and the yeah. competition is really heating up. New things are are launching every day. But that said, we definitely did want to try to take advantage of that first mover, that first mover advantage. And we felt the desire to get something out quickly, which is why we, we started with a very, very simple AMM that basically has a few UX improvements on top of what you see in perhaps the Ethereum ecosystem. But we definitely have ambitions to expand on that and make it into something very different going forward. Yeah, I wondered, how do you think Orca is different from other AMMs on Ethereum and Solana? What makes you like the a AMM I would choose? What do sure. you think? Yeah, the difference. Yeah, I would say for anyone who's tried Orca, I hope it really speaks for itself. But there's, there's a couple different ways, like concretely is the ways that we've designed the experience to be as intuitive and really as enjoyable as possible. You know, I think in, when it comes to discussions of crypto UX, you hear things like painless pretty often. Like we want to move beyond painless to something that actually does incorporate, and this is going to be a little cheesy, but deliberately cheesy, those little elements of delight. And so those are things like our fair price indicator where you, you put in your trade and just like Right there, you can easily see whether or not you're getting a good rate on our pools. That comes directly from the user research that I conducted with folks using Uniswap, using OneInt, et cetera. And I would see them open a tab and check the price on Binance, open another tab and check the price on CoinGecko. I'm like, this is something the UI can easily do for you. Yeah. On top so of that. Is, this yeah. is where your Go expertise ahead. comes in with the user experience and all those years that you were mentioning that you were building things that you could pick up on what users are really after. And one of the features which has really attracted me to Orca and I think makes it look pretty when you go in is you have a search bar where it says, try five Synthetify to port. What what drove that idea of having a text-based feature in there? Because that's something unique, which I haven't seen anywhere else. And I just, I just like to know what was the thought process to get you to, let's try and put in so someone can just type in Bitcoin to rope and it'll do the conversion. What drove you to that? Because you said, you know, the different tabs were there. But, you know, the, the graphical user interface to trade and things is quite straightforward. But that text bar is something I've never seen before. So I'd, I'd like to know more about it, please. Absolutely. Yeah, to be honest, everything in the Orca UI is really just a product of my, my fantasies for what a good swap experience should be like. And so coming in, again, very fresh-faced, like a, about a year ago, my first experience with crypto really was in, like, let's see, May 2020 or so. And I remember trying out all the different interfaces, feeling really frustrated when I'm trying to like hunt through token lists on Uniswap. I'm like, what, what even is a token list, right? I just like know which token I want to trade. Why is it so hard? And actually, the idea specifically for 
for this type to swap experience on Orca, which we call the magic bar, came from when I saw matcha. And I was like, oh, this is actually one of the most beautiful, the few beautiful experiences I've seen in crypto. But one of the things that I think a lot of people miss is that beautiful doesn't necessarily translate to usable. And as soon as I saw that search bar on matcha, I was like, oh, maybe I can type in five Synthetify to port or, you know, what the equivalent is yeah. on, on Ethereum and very quickly found that that wasn't an option. And so ever since then, I'm like, when we when we build Orca, this is the experience I want to create. Yeah, yeah it's very sense. interesting that it like came from your own experience. And I think that's like the best way to build, to just build based on experience, not on loops. I, I guess you could argue both ways. I really am a believer in the value of human-centered design. And that really means interviewing and observing the people that you're designing for. It just so happens that in this case, we are trying to design for folks who are maybe a little less crypto native. And I myself was very not crypto native at the time. But, you know, when I tested out that idea with other folks who were in our target market, it really resonated. And so that, that was kind of the confirmation that I needed. Are there any other functions currently on Orca you're really proud of or like happy for that there, there are for like new people in crypto? For sure. I think there's minor things, again, like the, the token balances panel. That's like another one that felt incredibly obvious to me. Like, sh why should we have to toggle back and forth to the wallet just in order to see whether your trade completed? Because, you know, a non-obvious function of this token balance panel, of course, you can see your balances when you log in. And that's kind of reassuring. So you know how you have the right wallet selected. But actually, a lot of what people use it for is to confirm that their trade has actually happened and that the the tokens have transferred from, from one token to another. And so it's these little subtle things, as well as our collectibles. Um, that's another one that I, I'm really proud of and really love because I think that is that little element of delight that adds some humanity I or I wanted to ask about the collectibles because <laughs> I, I can see that there's quite a few of them and some of them are very rare. The killer whale one for like, I think it was for liquidity providers, if I'm not mistaken. But um I mean, I personally, I love the little token thing. Like, I, it's really useful to see in you. you. Now that you've said it, it's made it's reminded me of every time I did what you just outlined, where I do my trade and then I check my wallet to see. And that is a really helpful thing. I want to ask about the collectibles again. What what drove you to release them? Because they were like they're really nice. And I remember when they released, I was providing some liquidity, and I think I have one. Uh, what was the thought process behind them? To was it to reward users? Was it to attract new ones? What, what, drove, what drove that thought process? Yes. Yeah, thank you so much for providing liquidity. So this really comes from, I guess, my background in terms of like hobbies, for one thing. I'm an illustrator just in my free time and really wanted to infuse some of that more kind of hand-drawn and yeah, like playful aspect into Orca. We have these, these three brand values, professional, principled, and playful. And that last one is one that, really helps us stand out. Part of it for the collectibles specifically was also comes from honestly, just like my love of games. And I think something that games do really well is really reward you for, for participating and make you feel like you're part of a community, especially if you're early. And so we wanted to reward our, our early adopters of the platform with something that was felt a little bit special that could kind of encourage some healthy competition. As you mentioned, the the whale and killer whale tokens were actually given out to the top 50 liquidity providers in our first month since launch. 
And that there was a pretty intense competition going on where yeah. basically like a few folks were fighting. There's like a few million in and a few more million in and a few more. And then at the end, someone just came in with like 10 million and crushed the competition. Yeah, and everyone yeah I remember. <laughs> he, I, if I'm not mistaken, that person's been a very big uh, Solana NFT buyer in the space. And he's very well known for people in that space. Oh, so you actually know who? Because I, I don't, I don't know who they they are. I, I'm not, I'm not 100 sure. I'm around 96, 97 sure that I know okay. exactly who is, but I'm not going to divulge it on here. I don't think, I don't think that's fair to them uh, to okay, okay. to make it public info. But yeah, so the collectibles. I also noticed they have a marine theme, and I've seen you know going through the website, preparing for the you know using it myself, and also preparing for the podcast. I, I've seen there's a ocean theme so you know there's killer whales is there anything that orca links in terms of charity because we've seen that happen quite a lot recently with a lot of protocols or nft projects looking to give back to the environment or you know if they're doing animals they look to sponsor that animal and save them is orca participating in something like that so honestly yeah i'm a bit of a do-gooder if you look at my past <laughs> career background the reason why I worked the places I worked was because it had some element of social impact, like starting in ed tech, and then IDEO works on a lot of social impact. And so when we were thinking about how we would structure our tokenomics for Orca and also thinking about how we would change the distribution of fees when we launched the Orca token, I actually had the idea to redirect one BIP or 0.01% of our trading fees directly to charity. And that's something that I thought was really meaningful because it directly ties the proportion of our impact to Orca's performance itself, as opposed to, say, like a one-off donation for some kind yeah. of campaign. And, so as Orca grows, yeah. so too will the donations and every user who uses it, that little percentage, it adds up because you have a lot of volume and hopefully it'll, make it, it'll, it'll have a really big impact because the environment is really important. Yeah, exactly. and users can also have impact in a way that doesn't like cost a lot of time or effort. So for them, it's also a great way to use Orca and know they're doing something good. Exactly. Yeah. So all those incentives, I think, align really well with our impact fund. On top of that, it was actually a great way for us to test out our first ever governance vote, which just concluded at the end of August. And so we actually had our community vote on which of two charities which both of which are focused on essentially fighting climate change through the lens of uh, ocean conservation. And so being able to get our community involved in that way too and really feel that personal connection is something we're proud of. Yes, do you think it went uh, well with the governance? Because you've, we've seen some uh, issues with governance tokens. Some are doing really great. It's always a bit, a bit of a guess how it goes. Yeah, this is really an experiment for us. So I don't think there was anything to be upset about in far of how it went. Like the, the the worst thing would be if, let's say, the votes didn't get counted or we saw people trying to game the vote. And that's not really something that we saw. Uh, I do think that we can get people more involved in the future and marketing is something that we're really going to ramp up. But in terms of like a very early governance experiment, I'm very happy with how it went. And all the people who voted are going to also receive an exclusive Porpoise collectible, which is right in with mm. our, our puns because we are porpoise yeah. driven. That's nice. I want to nice. ask, because you said about the the governance in general, and the opinion we have, which we've discussed between the research team is that protocols should become decentralized, but they shouldn't do that early in their lifespan. They need to have direction. 
and how to say to be babysitted by the creators who know where it's going before being handed over to the users. What was the not the thought process? What was the intention behind the governance? Was it just a let's see if we can get this working to prepare for it, or are you looking to you know move towards a DAO system and pass it off to your community in terms of management? Is that something you'd like to elaborate upon? Long term, that's definitely our goal. But in the more short term, we're very much aligned with you. It makes sense for a protocol to really establish a clear identity and a very strong community of people who can help it survive and really stick to its values and that brand identity. And we're not quite there yet. I think in terms of this governance vote, there really wasn't any bad outcome. So we specifically designed it that way as a way of getting starting to get the community involved, having them feel that sense of ownership over the impact that we're making. But we very deliberately made it one of those knobs you tweak where there is no bad outcome. Lovely. The The last thing I'll say is, do you think down the line, you with, you, with your experience in user interaction and things, that you could use the governance as a feedback mechanism for user experience to effectively make it completely anonymous and make the feedback on chain? Is that something that's, that you've considered in terms of both streamlining the decentralized system and also the voting system to use it for issues which are not protocol, you know, they don't determine the direction of the protocol in the long term, but they might impact the the short term change, if that makes sense. I would say that governance can inform design, but governance will never replace design. And by that, I mean, you ultimately need to talk to and observe humans for all the reasons that we've discussed. Yes, I also had a question about the airdrop because you guys airdrop tokens to I think people that used Orca. I, I wonder what like your thought process was behind doing the airdrop, and I think it's a great way to decentralize a token and a protocol myself. So I would love some comments on that. Sure. So we're very proud to be one of the few protocols on Solana to have done a fair launch and really committed to it from the very beginning. Yeah. If you look at our early medium posts, you'll see that. So this is something we knew we wanted to do from the beginning. And so we airdropped to both traders on the platform as well as liquidity providers. And we feel really happy to have given our community the first opportunity to buy the Orca token at a fair price since we're entirely bootstrapped and have no fundraising to date. I think that's a really important thing because especially on last week's podcast where I was talking with Chris from Grape, one thing we discussed at length was how you reward your early adopters and your early users. And we got into that conversation stemming from Star Atlas. And my opinion on it is that it's extremely unfair to offer a lottery-based allocation because it doesn't reward someone who's been following the project and has been active in the Discord. I mean, personally, I had around 30 to 40 lottery tickets and I didn't get an allocation. And it's it's only $69, but it's the, it's the ownership and the sense of involvement, which I think with the way that you did your token distribution, it's the best possible way to do it. And we saw that with DYDX doing that today, rewarding the users. And I think long-term, that's a way that you attract users and give your give your members value. And personally, I'm really happy that you did that. It's, it's lovely to see that happening in the ecosystem and users being rewarded. I really appreciate that. And, you know, something else that I think about a lot in terms of what can we really accomplish here with Orca and what can be the long-term impact of Orca? Of course, there's the impact fund, there's climate change, there's providing a great DEX, but there's also potentially being a role model for other projects. And, and we hope that other projects can see that doing things right can be a good business model. 
Yeah. And that brings us to the one issue which I think is there for quite a few projects. And a lot of products are very hazy on that. And it refers to how much, how, how many of the tokens or the percentage of the supply that goes towards the team, the advisors, and also fundraising. In your case, for anyone who's not up to date on the tokenomics, it's a 66% going to the community, 1%, a little bit under that, going to advisors, 20% to the team, and around 13% towards fundraising, which, in our opinion, and my opinion, is a very fair community launch, as, as I mentioned earlier. What drove the only offering 0.9% to advisors? Because that's a number which I've, I haven't seen in any other Solana project, being that, that small allocation to venture capitals or investment firms what was there a you know did you talk with the with your co-founder and decide we're going to build this for the users and ourselves and bootstrap it or it's really interesting i just want to hear how that conversation came about because the allure of the amount of money that you can make in solana is it's a lot of money end of the day and i think it's very hard for creators to turn that down so yes your thoughts on that please yeah Look, we're, we're not in this for the money, at least not solely. Nobody in crypto is truly not in it for the money at all. But we are very intentional about what we're here for, right? Like if we wanted to just make money, we would have come and done a pump and dump. And there's a pretty clear formula for that. Yeah. Um, but what we are here to try to experiment a little bit and try to see if making a really, really fair launch and making early access directly to the community can be a successful business model. And I think we've shown that that's the case. And honestly, I really need to give out some kudos to my, my co-founder, Yutaro here, as well as our early advisors, Edithai Ventures, for really being the ones to drive that vision and get everybody on the team on board. Not to say that we had a very large team, I guess it being the two of us at the beginning, it was easy for us to convince each other that this was the right move. Yeah. I wanted to say, you just mentioned now one name on the advisor panel, mm-hmm. and you also said that they encourage you to do that. That's, I think I've never heard of that before. Is that is that a specific reason why you chose to work with them as advisors? Did that like sort of drive the choice and to prefer them above other advisors, simply due to how they were positioned on the ethics side of it and their approach to it? Or was there something else that they offered that was only, you know, only they could offer it to you? Absolutely. Yeah, I would say that this is a relationship built heavily on trust. You know, in crypto, we talk a lot about trustless, and there's definitely a place and a time for that. But at the end of the day, all these protocols are built on top of human relationships, builders building together with advisors. And when we first talked to EIV or e to the Ventures, we immediately resonated with them and we could tell that they were very much values aligned with us. And they were very much willing to kind of come in at, like we felt that an allocation that was fair. And so even though, for example, we, we've allocated 13% to fundraising and these numbers are slightly like subject to change. Yeah. In general, I think it might even be lower than that. And that would be more for the community. Yeah, I mean, it's already a very generous number compared to some of the uh, white papers we've seen before. So I'm glad you guys choose the community above like uh, the others. The the last question before we finish on tokenomics, because like I said, there's only four allocations and we've gone through three of them. It's a team allocation. And you mentioned that it was yourself and your co-founder starting, but then the team expanded. You said like you've got quite a lot of team members now. What numbers are we talking, roughly 10, 20 people? Where does that sit, roughly? We have eight core team members right now. 
it's still a very lean team and we intend to keep it that way. That's actually something we're very, very proud of as well, is that we are a very lean team with a lot of trust and we're fully remote. We're all over the world. And the only way that that works is by really having that trust that each team member can operate with a lot of agency. And so every single member of our team is someone who can really own work streams and drive them forward. And that's someone that we trust with the Orca image and brand. Yeah, lovely. I mean, 20% between eight people is more than fair. However, it's allocated between the team members. And I think if anything, there's scope that I think creators should be taking more of a percentage because the amount of work that goes into building these protocols and offering them to people is is enormous. Yeah, well, when you look at like the way the ecosystem is going now, I think 20% is more than fair if you place your bets well, right? Like, yeah. I and everyone on the Orca team is here to grow the pie. And I think we've absolutely seen that already with Solana and with Orca. And I hope that other builders can really see it that way too. It's not necessarily about fighting for more of the pie so much as growing that pie. Yeah. The the nice. last question is, sorry, before before we continue, is uh, is a team working on Orca full-time? Are you yourself working on Orca full-time? And if you weren't at some point, when did the switch flip and you decide that, look, like I really need to work on this full time or what does that look like if you don't mind me asking? Yeah. So everyone on the team, well, I would, I can't say everyone, but certainly I live and breathe Orca. <laughs> this is like all I do yeah. is think about things that we could do. I'm, I'm dreaming about like what we should build next and what we should tweet about and like what other charities we can donate to and what the next collectibles should be. So it's very much a full-time gig. I think the the switch came after we really launched Orca and developed a, a real community. Like I, I started talking to people, just random people around the world on Telegram and people would DM us and tell us how much they loved Orca and that they wanted to be a community manager. And I remember just thinking like, this is real. Like this, this can actually be a calling. Yeah. Yes. I also uh, wondered. Uh, we talked with Norbert about open sourcing the projects on Solana, and I believe Orca is open source, right? Not fully, actually. So the the token swap smart contract that we're using right now is open source, and that's something we've contributed to slightly, but is primarily from Solana Labs. Our yield farming smart contract is not yet open source, and neither is our UI. Long-term, that's definitely something that we intend to do and something that we have committed to doing eventually from the beginning. Honestly, it's like a resource allocation game. Solana moves so fast. And in order to stay competitive and to offer the best possible experience that you can to your users, you have to be very careful about where you spend your time. And getting something ready for open source takes a lot of time. So that's something that we want to do and we intend to do, but we need to do at the right time when it's not going to cause us to essentially fall behind. And once we can get things audited and safe. Yes, that's uh, understandable. And obviously auditing is also very important. And I believe there are not a lot of companies yet doing audits on Solana. I'm not sure, but I believe you can count them on one hand. Yeah, less than less than three fingers, maybe at this point. Uh, so there is like a pretty heavy backup for the major auditors where we're working with them. But, you know, ultimately, it's their their schedule. Yep. I want to ask, seeing as we're, you know, we're, you're building on Solana and you've been in the ecosystem for a pretty much since its inception. When I say inception, I mean, since last year when 
before before the start of 2021. Are there any other projects that as a builder you've seen and you've sort of took a notice and made a note of them and gone, I really should have a look at what they're building. That looks very interesting or that you really liked personally or you use yourself. Yeah, it's funny that you asked that because I just recently visited New York and things are kind of more open now. And I met a bunch of other basically folks in the ecosystem for the first time. And it really reinforced what I felt from the beginning, which is that this is such a positive community and generally a very supportive community. You know, I came into this, honestly, being a bit wary, crypto sort of has a reputation, shall we say, like, was there going to be a lot of toxicity? Was there going to be sexism, etc.? But no, everyone's Everyone's been generally very collaborative, very supportive. You know, literally four days into being in New York, I was like walking another Solana builder's dog. And so I think overall, very positive vibes. In terms of what I personally am excited about, I think with my background of being a programmer, being a designer, being an illustrator, it's hard for me to not love NFTs. And I've loved them since generally pretty much the end of 2020. And so it's really exciting to see things blow up. As I mentioned earlier, I'm also a gamer. Well, maybe I'd like to say I'm a gamer. I don't have much time for it anymore, but I love the look of Aurori. I love how they have such like a friendly vibe. And that's something else that, you know, everything in Solana right now is for the most part, very sort of cyberpunk, which is cool, but it's not my aesthetic. And so I love the idea of like this, this game, um, that intersection between NFTs, gaming, blockchain, and art. And I think what they've created is also just like aesthetically beautiful and something that I take a lot of inspiration from too, especially as we've been thinking about launching our own NFT projects for Orca. Yeah, I was I was about to say, I think saying cyberpunk is being a bit generous to a lot of the new projects which are releasing, which are mostly pixels, which are being sold and being <laughs> minted for a price, which is a bit too much because three to four sol for a pixelated bear is it's a bit unrealistic with the current price of sol and i'll just leave especially that. with the price of sol heavily rising indeed it it gets uh, very expensive yes um you, you mentioned yourself that you're looking you know down the line maybe for an nft collection is that something that you'd be looking to do in the same uh, vein as you did with the collectibles rewarding existing users or will it be you know following the 10,000 profile picture pattern, which and do we've we also, seen. Do we also think there would be a way to put in charity there? Because we see it in a lot of NFT projects that a percentage goes to like a fund or a wallet that donates to charity too. Yes and yes. So actually, originally I was very resistant to these 10,000 profile picture drops. After looking at it more, I can actually see how compared to these sort of one-for-one NFT projects, they're really good at engaging the community. And I think they can help people feel a sense of ownership. So those are the aspects that I really like about that. And those are kind of the the things that I want to capture in our upcoming NFT projects. On the other hand, I think we haven't really explored too deeply as a space, this intersection between NFTs and DeFi. And so our plans are to integrate our existing collectibles into this NFT project to basically give these these collectibles more value. And that's something that people have asked us for from the beginning. And we, we've talked about our ambitions to do that in a way that's connected to art and celebrating artists. So all of those things are going to be involved. But let's suffice to say that 
uh, collectible holders will definitely enjoy some perks in the, in the near future. Yeah, lovely. To yeah, I uh, received my uh, stickers, I believe, yesterday. You could like redeem uh, your or you could get stickers from Orca if you had a collectible. I'm so happy to hear that you actually got them. Um, our our poor head of BD was mailing those out forever. He he's really a hero. But I have these stickers like all over myself and my my water bottle, and I, I printed all this orca swag. So it's very fun to see it out in the wild. I'm waiting for the first time I see some random person walking around with a, a whale sticker. <laughs> <laughs> you run into someone wearing a t-shirt or an orca hoodie, and you just run up to them, and they won't even know who you are on the street. It, it'll be great. I think it's it's the future of crypto. I think when when you get people who are online meeting in person with the Solana conference in Portugal as well coming up, that'll be really fun and interesting, I think. And we hope to see you there as well in person. Absolutely. I can't wait. A bunch of our team is going to be going. We're actually going to be sponsoring some events as well. So there'll definitely be opportunities to interact with us. But yeah, I, I think this is this is something that's super exciting for me since I basically got into crypto with COVID, as I mentioned. So in-person meetups have, have been something that haven't really been on the table. But, you know, I think something that makes Orca special is that we are real people. We're out there. We're, we're not pseudonymous and we're super excited to talk to and meet all of you. So I think that'll be a, a huge opportunity. Yeah, something yeah, to look coming, to in Portugal. Coming close to the end of the podcast, I wondered what the upcoming events are for Orca and what your view is on the future of Solana. Sure. So I guess we can talk a little bit about the roadmap. I think that's where you're getting at. Yeah. Like what yes. are you planning and what what over the next six months or so, what what is Orca looking to to implement? Because long term, you know, the roadmap's there and long term things change, but over the next six months or so, what, what's, what's kind of the plans between the team? Sure. So for the next six months, we have a very clear vision of building a more capital efficient AMM that nonetheless maintains this usability and accessibility that people really love about Orca. Could you on top explain of, oh, what capital efficient means for, for our viewers and also for myself, just so we're on the same page? Absolutely. And so that what that really means is for liquidity providers, being able to earn higher yields on less liquidity. Uh, so essentially making better and more effective use of the liquidity that they deposit on Orca. And on the other hand, just simply because this is how an AMM works uh, for traders, that means better rates as well. And this is truly innovation on the smart contract level that we haven't seen in the Solana ecosystem yet. Mm. Like the so Solana I'm, ecosystem. I'm guessing you, you're looking to deviate from the constant product uh, automated market market maker model that Uniswap made popular. And you're looking to maybe add something with a bit more flexibility for the liquidity provider and to also optimize the process, which I'm, I'm not going to get into the technicalities because you know you need a paper and pen to explain everything. But it's effectively leveraging Solana's throughput and technical capabilities in terms of performance to make this a better system for the liquidity. Is that kind of a good summary? You nailed it. Yeah. Cool. Nobody cool. is doing this yet, as, as I mentioned in Solana. And by this, I mean really deviating from that constant product model. But we really believe that this is the future. And the winner here will really be the protocol that can marry this more sophisticated base layer smart contract with the retail accessibility that really makes uh, AMM have that flywheel. And that's something that we feel very well positioned to do at Orca. 
Yeah, that, that makes complete sense to me because one of our fellow researchers, Kareem, who's been on the podcast before, when he used a competing DEX on Solana, one of the complaints he had was that there wasn't enough liquidity or he caused a lot of slippage when trying to trade around uh, five figures, so above 10,000 USD. And I'm assuming, at least from what, what we've discussed so far, that the optimization of the protocol would kind of eliminate that big slippage percentage on on these amounts and also you know make it more efficient for the providers like we said so i think that's definitely something that you know people are looking forward to and there's a need and also it differentiates solana from things that are on ethereum and i think that's really important for solana to carve out its own identity and i'm, I'm happy to hear that you know you're at the forefront of that with orca so really looking forward to that one Thank you so much. Yeah, I think we'll definitely see the impacts of this very soon, especially with these more blue chip tokens. Another thing that I'd be remiss to not mention is that we're also going to be rolling out community pools in the near future, which will allow us to really support that long tail of tokens so people can trade whatever they want on Orca. And so our, our vision is really to be this more capital efficient AMM that can be used for any token out there in the ecosystem and also by anyone. Um, really pushing it to be that DeFi Lego that other projects will want to use as well. Yeah, it's really nice to hear that you have a clear vision with Orca and also use like all the possibilities of Solana because I think some projects could use the capability of Solana more and I'm happy to see Orca is experimenting with that. Experimenting is exactly the right word. I don't claim that we have all the answers, but I do claim that we have a team that's very well suited for this goal. And we're going we're gonna to try, we're going to learn, and we're going to keep improving the product so until it's something that the community loves. Yes, I'm really happy to have had you on here. And uh, you too, Bill. It's always nice to have someone with a more uh, technical knowledge uh, helping me with the podcast. So yeah, I'm uh, really thankful for listening, guys. And next week, we'll have XDeFi Wallet on, a wallet that's currently uh, just started and hopes to compete with MetaMask and Phantom. Yeah, Thanks, it, was a pleasure. it was a pleasure having you on, Ari. I really enjoyed this one. And seeing, seeing you know, the things that are being built with the automated market model, it, it gives me hope. And I think it's what we need for Solana to continue this ascent, I'll leave out that, that we've seen over the last month <laughs> or two. So. Thank you so much for your time today and best of luck with all the implementations and I hope it all works out. Same. Thank you so much. Happy to talk anytime. <laughs>